attention, please. This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive 3 until 6 p.m. weekdays on the Sports Hub. I love it. It's brilliant. I've absolutely had it with all the ref shaming and Captain Hindsight's out there. Virginia is playing in the national title game tonight because they deserve to be playing in the game tonight. The officiating did not decide the game. I'm going to take a line from the head coach of the Auburn Tigers this morning, Bruce Pearl. Get over it. It's the same message I had to New Orleans Saints fans after the Rams-Saints-NFC championship game. This is not nearly as egregious. It just isn't. It was a foul at the end. We can all agree on that now. It was that blatant. And there's there's a faction of people out there who are convinced that that call is something that shouldn't be called at the final minute. It was close. It was ticky-tack. It wasn't. Kyle Guy didn't kick out his leg. Dowdy got him. It was a foul. That's on Auburn. Just because you don't like the result or don't like seeing the game decided by Kyle Guy hitting free throws, that's not on the referees. It would have been a lot worse if the the referee swallowed the whistle. Today's show would have been a lot more brutal today if he swallowed the whistle. Ah, but Josh, what about the double dribble? Yes, it was a double dribble. But... I I love how we attach such unrealistic expectations on the people in stripes. Jim Nance, Grant Hill, and Bill Raftery were all sitting courtside at this game. We were all watching this on television, and the majority of the people I was with, and I was in public, I was at a brewery in Greensboro watching this. The majority of people, including the broadcast team, sitting courtside in Minneapolis, none of them saw the double dribble in real time. Yet we expect the referees to. Plus, complaining about a, a, a double dribble non-call, it comes off the same way as maybe criticizing an inbounds play. Somebody's foot was a little bit over the line as he's trying to throw it into play. Technically, it's against the rules. But that would be something, I think, that qualifies as a ticky-tack foul. You rarely ever see a double dribble called in the final moments of games. You very rarely see a double dribble called altogether. Same thing for an inbounds play. Yet we're yelling about it. They didn't get the call, but that didn't cost them the game. Auburn had a chance to stop Virginia after the double dribble miss. They didn't do it. We just pay more attention to it because it's at the very end of the game. Just stop with the referee shaming. Do you know who I was on Saturday? I was I was at Joymongers in Greensboro, great brewery, and I was the guy who probably would have saved many of my classmates from being embarrassed on the Auburn campus. You may have saw the video. Tons and tons of Auburn fans rolling the tumors corner to throw the toilet paper on the trees, which is tradition in Auburn. They thought Auburn had won the game. Turned out they did not, of course. 
because the foul was called. But you might not know that if you didn't have the sound up on the broadcast. So I was in a public place. I was, I was at a restaurant. I was the guy who, once the shot went up and it missed, everybody is yelling, oh, Auburn just won, Virginia lost. I was the guy saying, no, it was a foul. He got fouled. Is that guy a jerk or is that guy a budding hero? Desmond Johnson is the producer of this program. You can tweet the show at Sports Hub Triad. The call in number is 336-777-1600. That's who I was. I was the one that identified from the jump that was a foul. I'm, I'm still stuck on the whole forgiving the officials for not seeing the double dribble because that's what they're there for. <laughs> they're, literally, they're literally there we to call that. We all missed it. Not Even the broadcast team was sitting there, and they didn't even see it after the first slow-motion replay. But, we, but we're not paid to see that. That's not our job to see that. We're there to, to enjoy the game, but not we to attach, call fouls. We and, attach unrealistic expectations on these people to see absolutely everything. I'm going to take the line from Bruce Pearl today, and I usually have a policy with sports, and this is what I attach to sports fans. Never take the game, the games as hard or, excuse me, harder as the people who participate in them. In other words, you shouldn't be crushed today if the head coach of Auburn isn't. Here's the exact quote from Bruce Pearl today. The biggest point I want to make, and I'm sincere in this, I'm not just saying this because it's politically the right thing to say, there is human error involved in the game. Kids make mistakes, coaches make mistakes, yes, officials will make mistakes. That's part of the game. Get over it. Sometimes they're going to go your way. Sometimes they're not going to go your way. Are we going to give God less glory because we lost and only, and only do so when we win? Stop. Grow up. This is part of the game. These kids taught us, I think, in many ways how to handle defeat, and that's a difficult thing to do for these young kids, and I'm proud of them. When it comes to something like a double dribble, how often do you see that called? It was so easy to miss that I'm not going to crush that the same way I would Somebody blatantly getting fouled at the end of the game, criticizing the foul at the end because it was the final seconds. That the, the foul call was the absolute hundred percent correct call. Like that, that call's fine. And as for Bruce Pearl, Pearl, what is he supposed to say? I mean, he's been pretty gracious throughout this tournament, and he I would could have done what Sean Payton him. did. That's not his character. I wouldn't have expected that from him. But what you he asked said the question: what, what could he have said? He could have gone, and people would not have necessarily ridiculed him for doing so. He could have gone full Sean Payton, say we need change and all that garbage. We can't really change this. This is just human error. They sure just, you could. They just missed it. I mean, you can't put in something where they can go back and, and instant replay every single thing. The that's NFL out there. just did that. It's not going to work the way they want it to. I right. Mean, in terms so of being able I to give, replay everything, and that's why I'm giving Bruce Pearl points. What could he have said? He could have taken an out. He did not. So that's why he deserves credit because what he's saying today is a lot harder to swallow than blaming it on the refs and saying we need to fix it. Well, I mean, he said the right thing. I'm not going to give him credit for saying the right thing or, or, or pinning the loss on the referees because there was a lot of plays before that that determined the game. But, when, that, game, but that play in particular is going to stand out for, from now through eternity because most, of where the ref was. When most people are apt to do the easy thing, that might not be the right thing. I'm willing to give credit to somebody who says the thing that is harder to swallow, that's more difficult to come up with, knowing that it's the right thing to say. When, Bruce uh, Pearl did that today. I give him points for it. When Chris Weber called the timeout in the Michigan-Carolina game back in 93, do you remember what happened right before that? He, he traveled. Right. 
and the ref was right there. That that is mentioned more than almost any almost as much as the timeout itself. It's the twenty five year anniversary of that play of that game, but that missed call is still remembered. What I'm saying is, it's not remembered won, as much as the timeout. Of course, nothing would be in that situation, but it is still it's still mentioned and talked about when that play is brought up almost every single time because it's right. so blatant. Kyle got this picked up not- the ball with both hands. It was blatant. <laughs> I mean, there's no way to get around it. Do you they know how I? Do you it. know how I know it's not that blatant? Because you just said the wrong player did it. Ty Jerome was Oh, Ty the Jerome, excuse me. I'm mistaken. Ty, right. Jer- Ty Jerome picked up the ball with both hands. <laughs> We're not going to forget Chris Weber was the one that traveled. They all, they all look the same over at Virginia. But, what? Uh, <laughs> just say you were wrong. <laughs> no, with the name. All, you're with trying to name. justify it saying with they the all look the same. What are you doing? With the name, not the premise. The referee is standing right there. When, when the guy's bringing a ball up the court, the referees are in certain positions on the court, right? The travel was not nearly... Double dribble. Oh, wait. No, no, no. Yeah, the double dribble was not nearly as egregious as Chris Webber's travel. It just wasn't. It. I mean, same point of the game. It's, it wasn't possession. near. I'm telling you, we all saw Chris Webber's travel in real time. What I'm saying happened here with Virginia, we all saw it, and most of us missed it. Most of us, including Jim Nance, Bill Raftery, and Grant Hill, none of which pulled uh, none of none of which even referenced it after a slow motion replay. So we all looked at it. I said, "Wait a minute! Did he just double dribble?" The broadcasters didn't even pick it up. Chris Weber, there was no question what happened. But there was no, no question. But there's no question what Ty Jerome did either. Just I'm because you didn't see most it with the naked eye to begin it. with. So when most people miss it, we expect the referees to catch it. Yes. Uh huh. And they didn't. And when they don't. <laughs> We're going to crush them for be- for what? Being human? No, that that's my whole point. I'm not crushing the refs for this. I said right at the beginning, this is human error. But to just to skip past that as not being an important part of what happened at the end of this game is a mistake to me. Like, it was a big mistake that they did not call it. Possession would have changed and gone back to Auburn. They were up with, like, uh, at that point, they were up how much? Two points. They were up two points. They would have possession of the ball with, what, like a couple of seconds left? It would have changed the game. But it was not called. And I, I can't. I can't get past the fact that they did not call this How can when their you not job is to call fact. things like this. Just like just like people can't get past the double same dribbles, thing. No, double dribbles rarely get called. Let's 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 call something what it is. Criticizing double dribbles is in the same vein of criticizing did he have that extra step or not? Is it, it it's close? It, uh, his foot is slightly over the inline when he's inbounding it. It's that minuscule. It's not, did this guy contact the shooter in the corner? It's not, did, was someone's foot in the half circle as he's driving in on a block charge call? It's something that isn't called as often. It's a lot more subjective, but when you break it down in the slow motion replay, it's easy to criticize and nitpick anybody. Palming the ball and not calling double dribble is totally different than picking up the ball with two hands and starting your dribble again. That is called literally almost every time, except for Saturday night. We never see that call. What are you talking about? It rarely happens because you're not supposed to do it. You're not supposed to pick up the ball with both your hands. It's like saying, I understand. It's like saying we don't really see handball a lot in soccer. I understand. because you're not supposed to do it. You're absolutely right. It would have been a miracle call by the referee to see that in real time it would have been very hard to do we never see that call called and to see that in the final 10 seconds of a final four game you got to understand you got to think of the perspective of these referees a little bit and be slightly more sympathetic than what you're being right now
No, I mean, I, 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 I believe that the referees are paid to do a job, and those referees specifically for the Final Four have been picked to be the best of the best that season. So yeah. when something that big happens and is not called, it's going to stand out. I can't say that the referees just totally uh, affected the game because I'm not a believer in that. I don't believe one play affects an entire game. It's no. a series of actions. The officiating did not decide the game, but something that did was Kyle Guy. I was amazed at the fact he made all three free throws, especially considering what we saw on the other end of the floor. Jared Harper went to the line with Auburn up by one point. If he hits two free throws, they're up three. At that point, I think he had hit 17 free throws in a row, and he missed the second end to allow for Virginia to win the game with three free throws in Kyle Guy. But I also like the honesty from Kyle because he said this to Tracy Wolfson after the game when asked just his level of confidence going to the line down two. I could lie to you and say I knew I was going to hit him, but I was terrified. Um, I had confidence in myself, but this is what we dream of. And, um, you know, for, for me to be able to, to do this for our team, I, I couldn't be happier. <laughs> I was terrified going to the line there. The drive's brought to you in part by our friends at Twin Peaks. The season's final buzzer is here. It all comes down to this. Will Virginia or Texas Tech take the national championship? Come catch all the action at Twin Peaks starting at 9.20, I think, is tip-off time later this evening. Let's go to Tim in Winston-Salem. Tim's the first caller of the week, so no pressure, Tim. Make it a good one. Yeah, hi. Uh, just a comment on the play at, at half-court at the end of the game, the Virginia-Auburn game. I think um, – I really think it was a pretty – even though it was a double dribble, it's a pretty good no-call. I think if you look at it pretty closely, it was really hard to tell – in real time, whether the Auburn player maybe got his hand in there or not. I can't imagine that the referee, with any doubt in his mind about something like could have would have made a double dribble call. I think it was just kind of a play-on sort of thing. The, the bigger mistake, I think, was the Auburn player deciding to go ahead and uh, foul Jerome when he shot the ball. If he doesn't foul Jerome, it's just a half-court heave that's probably not going to go in and the game's over. But he, but he fouled him there, and so... Uh, you know, that, that changed everything. Right. I, there's a lot of things to factor into that. Thank you for the call, Tim. Such as what you're told to do by your coach. You go into that situation and Bruce Pearl's telling you to foul because it's you have it to give and you want to control the circumstance as much as you can. But not even Bruce Pearl can predict that Ty Jerome's going to dribble it off his foot and that's going to affect it. You assume that Ty Jerome is going to get across half court, and that's when you commit the foul. One more. Brian in Rural Hall once in on the Virginia game on Saturday. The way I say it is I'm going to be a little bit lenient when it comes to double dribble, inbounds play on the baseline or on the inline, those types of calls, the extra half step in the NBA is a continuation than I am when it's clearly a foul at the final moment like it was on Kyle Guy. Brian, what do you make of the final moments of Virginia and uh, Auburn on Saturday? Oh, I thought it was great, especially for you uh, sports talk guys, give you something to talk about for sure. Hey, uh, one thing a lot of people are overlooking is a half second before the double dribble, the Virginia player was fouled. That was overlooked, yet nobody mentions it, and everybody's talking about the double dribble. If you want to uh, complain about the double dribble not being called, you have to say that shouldn't have mattered because the whistle should have blown a half second earlier. 
with the foul right in the chest of uh, Jerome. You bring up such a great point because you look at the picture and there's no doubt that the defender, I forget the name of the Auburn defender, he reached and grabbed Jersey. You can see the jerseys being pulled. But you can't talk about these things unilaterally. You just can't. Hey, I want them to swallow the whistle at the end. Except when it's the double dribble or the reach-in foul. Nothing's really consistent, which, to Brian's point, makes things fun for us. Coming up, women own the night in sports. Keep it here on The Drive. This is The Sports Hub at AM 600, AM 920. Now back to The Drive with Josh Graham. I want to take you behind the scenes right before we go on the air of an argument me and Desmond Johnson were having right before the radio microphones turned on. Des watched almost every moment of seven hours WrestleMania yesterday. And as I've admitted, I was interested in the main event. I'm not a big wrestling fan. I'm not a wrestling fan altogether. But just being around people like Des and former producers I've had at other places... I'm a little familiar with what's happening with WrestleMania. I did watch the women's Final Four yesterday, the women's national championship game, I should say, Baylor beating Notre Dame, ratings up 11% on ESPN for that national championship game. But the argument me and Des were having was with how we should go about talking about WrestleMania here. Because to take you behind the curtain a little bit with how sports radio works, I'm going to show you the sausage a little bit. Show you how the sausage is made. We try to stay away from the micro. We want to attract the broad audience. We never really go too hardcore into anything. That's why when we have, say, a coach like Dave Clawson on the program, we we try to ask questions that people who aren't big Wake football fans would like to have answered or might be interested in hearing, and it would also appease the Wake Forest fans. That's why we don't really ask Hey, who's your starting left tackle or what's going on with your center? That's the thinking. So with WrestleMania, I'm trying to figure out the right way we should talk about this because I was thinking we get an update or a recap once per hour from Dez, who's a big fan of wrestling and WrestleMania. He compacts it to about one minute and he does so with music in the background, which led to what the discrepancy was in our thinking here. He wanted to play... Who, who's the wrestler that won last night? Becky Lynch. Becky Lynch won two belts last night in the main event, an event she shared with Ronda Rousey and with Charlotte Flair. Becky Lynch won the, the final match. She was probably the star of WrestleMania yesterday. But you wanted to play Becky Lynch's music in the background of these updates, and I didn't know what it was. So it's maybe just dumb me assuming most people probably don't know Becky Lynch's music. How many rest how many songs, wrestling intros, do you think the majority of our audience would recognize right off the jump? Currently that are currently wrestling today? Yes. Uh Probably three or four. What are the three or four? Uh, Roman Reigns. Okay. W- which is kind of the Shields music, too. He kind of jacked it, so that's probably why. Um, Daniel Bryan. 
That's the guy who that. yells, yes, yes, yes. Well, yeah, used to, but yeah, that's the guy. Um, hmm. Probably Becky Lynch, because she's the hottest thing in the company, has right. been for about a year straight. Uh, and once you get to hottest thing in the company status at WWE, you kind of cross over into mainstream status. So, to, All right, we've got three. Is there a fourth? Uh, that's currently wrestling right now. Uh, Let's I just stick with those three. Yeah, if you have to try three. and pull one out, you think most people would recognize Roman Reigns' music, Daniel Bryan's music, Becky Lynch's music. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm not saying that wrestling fans are in the minority. I'm not saying that. What I'm suggesting is, even if you might follow wrestling casually, doesn't mean that you know all the intro songs for every single one of these wrestlers. Is that a fair assumption? Right. Yes, that's a fair assumption. I'm here to tell you, I don't know you could play any music, and I would think it's one of those three wrestlers. You could fool me for either of those three. But then again, I don't follow wrestling. I am I work in sports radio, though, so I do hear and see a lot of wrestling around me. I don't know any of those three songs. But those three songs, you don't have to know wrestling to know those three songs. Like, that's the point. Like, th- those three wrestlers have crossed over into mainstream consciousness so that their theme songs are getting played in commercials. Their songs are getting played just randomly, like, throughout the day. But it's still not on my radar of... I, I couldn't name Roman Reigns' music, Daniel Bryan's music, or Becky Lynch's music. And again, so let's see Let's see if I'm on the wrong end of this. 336-777-1600. Okay. Am I just blatantly wrong that in suggesting the majority of people who might be listening to this show right now don't know the music of current wrestlers, the introduction music for current wrestlers? Is, is that a blind spot for me, or do I have maybe a point? Regardless, I want to know what's happening a little bit with WrestleMania. So let's, let's get a one-minute recap. A one-minute recap, and let's play some music that most wrestling fans, maybe even most people, would certainly recognize. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to start a... A timer for one minute to make sure I don't go over here. I've got you. You got me? I'll save the Becky Lynch uh, info for later on in the broadcast uh, since we kind of went through that already. WWE kind of threw a a wrench into the plans of WrestleMania 35 when they said that Lynch versus Flair versus uh, Rousey was going to headline the event. Where was that going to put Seth Rollins versus Brock Lesnar for the Universal Championship, which is considered the biggest belt in the whole company? WWE said, fine, we're going to give the fans what you want, and they opened the whole damn show with the Universal Championship match at the very beginning, which was a huge surprise. Uh, Brock Lesnar decided to beat up Seth Rollins before the match even began, threw him him outside the ring a bunch of times. But surprisingly, Seth Rollins actually won the belt clean, Uh, actually took a couple of... uh, Shots to the mommy-daddy button by Seth Rollins to Brock Lesnar. But Seth Rollins, your new universal heavyweight champion. All right. A little less than a minute, but good stuff there. I'm willing to admit when I'm wrong. But I think most people will probably be able to associate that sound you just heard. Stone Cold Steve Austin's music, even I know that, to wrestling versus I don't think most people at this point can name wrestling music of current current wrestlers. I just don't think they'd be able to. 
it's kind of like the fun we did with the baseball segment we do every week. You, you, you're more apt to remember baseball players from 15, 20 years ago versus guys who might be on the roster today. Anyway, let's go to John in Greensboro. John's on the Sports Hub. What, what's your take on wrestling and the public consciousness of it? Yeah, I'm with you, Josh. I'm not saying that wrestling isn't big. I know, you know, they have a large following. They have superstars. But as far as the comment about crossing over, I, I've never really been into wrestling. My wife watches uh, the Divas, uh, Real Divas or whatever the show is. Um, and I watch it with her, and I couldn't name one single song. Does she? Could, but, but here's the important question, John. Can she, would she be re- able to recognize Becky Lynch's music? No. Okay. Thank and you. she watches the show, but she doesn't watch wrestling. So, you know, maybe that's why. I don't know. I could now, I am familiar with some older wrestlers. Like when I was a kid, I could, you know, recognize Stone Cold's music or The Undertaker, um, stuff like that. But as far as anybody knew, no. Thank you, John. Appreciate the phone call. No problem. The drive is brought to you by our friends at the law offices of Timothy D. Wellborn. Uh, that's where the drive is broadcast. The law offices of Timothy D. Wellborn Studios. They specialize in workers' comp, social security, and a lot of other things. Visit them, timwellborn.com. You'll know when you need us. Dave and Clemens, real quickly, you're on the Sports Hub. Dave, your take on the subject is? Hey, Josh, I'm a huge wrestling fan. I don't really talk about it that much, but... Um... You know, WrestleMania is a huge deal. It's the, the Super Bowl for wrestling. But um, actually, WWE just signed a deal with Fox, yes. and they're going to be moving their Tuesday night WWE SmackDown show to Friday night. So uh, wrestling's going to become more mainstream, and Fox Sports is getting a hold of it. So um, I think we're going to start seeing like a professional wrestler, uh, wrestler like uh, Rob Gronkowski. You yeah. know, he's retiring from the Patriots. He's 31, 32 years old. He can come to WWE and make several millions of dollars and wrestle just a couple matches in the year. And that's kind of the uh, track that Ronda Rousey has done. So I think it's going to start getting more mainstream, and I think you're going to start seeing more sports or like Ronda Rousey-type players uh, coming into the game. Yeah, and I, I think it's going to become more mainstream, too. It's just it's not a wrestling thing. It's a sports thing where people are more apt to remember 10, 15 years ago who played for a certain team, more who's in it right now. Hit the music for me real quick one more time. Hit, hit me with the Stone Cold Steve Austin, because while we're talking about women at the top of WrestleMania, I've got something to say, too. Women's National Championship! Baylor won the title. That's the bottom line, because Kim Mulkey said so. I love that last night. I'm gonna. I'm here to tell you something right now. Kim Mulkey's a Texas rattlesnake, and she's not gonna be denied. If either, if tonight's game produces anything offensively, like the second half of Baylor and Notre Dame, we're gonna be talking about one of the best Final Four basketball games we've seen in a long time. I enjoyed all the games this weekend in women's basketball. The ratings should. Go up every year if the content and the games are high quality. How about the Baylor Bears? UConn hasn't won the last three years. Baylor knocked off the defending champs. 
all for some women's basketball. Up next, a crazy stat regarding tonight's national title game that took me aback. This is The Drive. This is The Sports Hub at AM 600, AM 920. Now back to The Drive with Josh Graham. Listen here. The season's final buzzer has arrived. It all comes down to this. Will it be Virginia or Texas Tech taking the national championship? Find out at Twin Peaks on Haynes Mall Boulevard starting at 920. That's when tip-off is. And if you want to catch all the action of tonight's game, you can listen to it right here on the Sports Hub with Kevin Kugler, Big John Thompson, and Clark Kellogg on the call. As for who I think is going to win tonight's game, I'm going to go with my pick I've had all throughout the tournament. I'm sticking with the Virginia Cavaliers. I think these two teams play very similarly in that they don't mind playing an ugly game and leaning on their defense. Both teams are top five defensive teams. Both are fantastic stories. A question we put out publicly on a poll is, who do you think would lend itself to a better story? Which result would give us the best story? Texas Tech winning or Virginia winning? You can answer that question at 336-777-1600. Our intern Aaron has done a really good job delivering some slam poetry previews for each of the Elite Eight games and the Final Four games, and he has one for the Final Four, which we'll bring to you in just a little bit. Aaron Beard in Minneapolis will join us from the AP in about 10 minutes. So there's a lot of things for us to do. Desmond Johnson's been chiming in with some WrestleMania updates, and we'll get to one of those as well. Here, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what the headlines are going to read tomorrow given the result that we are given tonight. And let's start with Virginia. If Virginia wins the national title, it's first in program history. I have a picture in my mind that says Virginia's going to be one of the five best stories in the history of college basketball. It's going to be validation for Tony Bennett, who's been often maligned for his style. But if he wins, or Chris Beard wins, either one would be the ninth active coach to win a basketball championship. That's how small the number is. There is not, and there won't be, double-figure active coaches in the sport at the end of this season. That list consists of Roy Williams, Jay Wright, Tom Izzo, Coach K, John Calipari, Jim Beheim, Bill Self, Tubby Smith. That's the list of active coaches who have won a national title. Chris Beard or Tony Bennett will be added to that list. I feel like if Tony Bennett wins this game, he's going to be viewed as the best non-Hall of Fame coach in the sport. So I'm not putting him on the same rung as Mike Krzyzewski, Tom Izzo, Roy Williams, Bill Self, none of those guys. But I'm putting Tony Bennett above Jay Wright four of the last six years winning the ACC, even though Jay Wright's won twice the national title. The Big East is easier of a conference than the ACC is. So give me Tony Bennett there. I put him slightly above John Beeline. I put him slightly above Mark Few. I think he'd be the best coach in college basketball that does not have a Hall of Fame title 
next to his name. It's going to be one of the five best stories in the history of the NCAA tournament if they win, going from being the first number one seed to lose to a 16 seed to winning the national title the next year. I think that belongs in the conversation right after Jim Valvano running around the court in 1983, right there with Duke bouncing back the year after it lost to UNLV, beating them in the Final Four, right there with Kimball Walker's run with UConn through the tournament, right there with Villanova upsetting Georgetown in 1985, knocking off the defending champion, um, the defending champions, Hoyas, right there with UNC after losing at the buzzer, winning the national title the next year. If it's Texas Tech winning the title, I think the headline's going to read, Cinderella wins the title. They are Cinderella because their coach is Cinderella. Chris Beard is the ultimate underdog. Just look at his resume. In the last 10 years, Chris Beard has gone from being an assistant at Texas Tech to coaching a semi-pro team in South Carolina to Division II six years ago to... Angelo State, four years ago, to Arkansas Little Rock, three years ago, to the Elite Eight last year, to the Final Four, and now the national title game. It will be, and this is absurd to think about, if Texas Tech wins, it'll be the state of Texas's second national championship ever. The Longhorns never won. Phi Jamma Slamma went back-to-back years and lost. SMU never won. Texas A&M never won. Texas Western won in 1966. First black, uh, first black starting five. Don Haskins. That school's now UTEP. That's the only team that's ever won a national championship in the state of Texas. And Texas Tech can make that number two. It's crazy. And I don't even think this year's team's as good as last year's squad with Keenan Evans and Zaire Smith and Zach Smith. I don't think they're as good. But they have grad transfers, so they were allowed to still be competitive and still be a tournament team in the Big 12. Matt Mooney came from South Dakota, and uh, Tariq Owens, a starter, came from St. John's. So that's what I believe the headlines are going to be if both teams win. Let's go to the phones before we get to intern Aaron's slam poetry. Beth in Greensboro said she picked her bracket off of my picks. That's never a good idea, Beth. Beth in Greensboro, you're on the show. What are you doing, Beth? Well, I mean, I listen to you, and you. I think you're hilarious, and I went with what you said. I was like, I had two brackets, actually three. But anyway, I, my first bracket was completely different. I heard you talking one day, and you said, you're going to go with Duke, Gonzaga, Virginia, and I think it was Kentucky, and you're like, I know this is crazy, but I went with that too, so I still have Virginia winning it all, so I still like in the money in a couple of pools I have. So I agree with you. <laughs> Beth, tell it, hopefully it goes well for you. Thanks so much for uh, leaning on, on my picks here. I appreciate it. Kevin in Winston-Salem has a question about Virginia Tech. Mike Young, the new head coach of the Hokies, will ask Aaron Beard about that in a while. Kevin, you're on the Sports Hub. Go right ahead. What do you got? Hey. Hey, Josh, yeah, um, quick question about Virginia Tech. Um, we all hear about Carolina and Duke and their, and their tradition and, and the atmosphere at those games. Um, Virginia Tech and Florida State specifically are known as football schools. I'd just like to know, um, from your experience, if your dads have ever visited um, um, a basketball game either either of those places, what the atmosphere is like, 
And does this guy have a chance to to overtake football at all at Virginia Tech? And I'll take it take well, it off well, there. Well, Kevin, I, I've been to one game at Castle, and it's loud, and the fans are close. It's intimate. It, it, it reminds me actually a lot of Cameron Indoor Stadium because Virginia Tech, as you probably know, has all the stone stuff all over the place. It looks like Hogwarts in a way. Um, it's loud. Castle is legit. Um, I wouldn't put it in the same realm you put basketball schools per se. Florida State, never been to a game there, and I really haven't heard much about the basketball pedigree. But I'll also add this. Texas Tech's not a basketball school. It's a football school, and Texas Tech, I mean, they're in a state that football is the priority, and there's no there's no business even bringing up who number two is because that's how large the gap is between number one and number two. Texas Tech is evidence that anybody can win a basketball title in the Power Five. You can do it. If Texas Tech can, then Virginia Tech can and NC State can, and people here in the state of North Carolina rooting for Power 5 teams, they, they can do it. This has been a weird tournament. Like, I mean, it, it, in some ways... It's weird it, every year, man. But it feels like it feels like it was chalk, like as much as it could be, but it doesn't feel like it was chalk at all, you know? Texas Tech has been the best team in the tournament because they haven't really played any nail-biters. They were not winning by buzzer beaters. I think they have the highest margin of victory. Yeah, they do, and that's how they're here. Virginia, meanwhile, probably the best team all season long, only lost three games all year, two of them the Duke, and... Here they are, and they needed a miracle to beat Purdue, and they needed a miracle to beat Auburn. They're here in this this championship game. It's all messed up. Intern Aaron's the, here, though, to try and clear things up and to explain what we're going to be watching tonight. Intern Aaron is getting out of his seat here in the studio, the law office of Timothy D. Wellborn Studios. He's turning down the lights because he believes in, it's the only way to uphold the artistic integrity of the bit, even though we do radio and you can't see if the lights are on or off. It does look different in there. Intern Aaron, I'm going to give you the floor. Give us the preview, poetry preview, of Texas Tech and Virginia. Give me a uh, give me a mic check in there. I'll call this one. How's that? Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I'll call this one. One, no, pardon it, first shining moment. Wait a minute. We're coming out of the box. Hold on, yeah. Already. Turn off Wait, the music. Yeah, Turn off the music. All, all over again. We're coming out of the box <laughs> with you misreading the title? Yeah, you wrote I misread it. the title. All right. You, you wrote it. Let's let's edit this out in post. No one's <laughs> going to notice any of this has happened at all. Intern Aaron, take it away. All right. Mic check. One, two. One, two. I call this one. First shining moment. Say what you will about who should or shouldn't be. On second thought, mother bleep how you feel. One of these teams will soon be basketball royalty. There's no UMBC, no Duke, no Kentucky, no UNC. Just the Red Raiders and the Cavaliers. Guns up, swords out, only Rough Riders over here. Chipping it off, running for their life. Racing for the bestowment of confetti. Hardwood glory. The first shining moment. Deep and profound as always. Intern Aaron bringing it. You did good, buddy. You did good. Who would present the better story? Virginia winning or Texas Tech? We go out to Minneapolis. AP college basketball writer Aaron Beard joins the show. Next.
Look who's back. This is The Sports Hub at AM 600, AM 920. Now back to The Drive with Josh Graham. Before we get to Aaron Beard from the Associated Press, Duke Basketball just put out in a tweet two minutes ago, official number three in 2019-2020 with a picture of Trey Jones in the post. Trey Jones had a couple of cryptic Instagram posts over the weekend suggesting he was going to be returning to the Blue Devils for a sophomore season. We still don't know officially if Zion Williamson or Cam Reddish are in fact going. Zion hasn't said officially whether he's going to the NBA. Cam Reddish, according to reports, was at the Laker game last night sitting courtside with LeBron's people at Clutch. Or Rich Paul's people, I should say, at Clutch. So it does seem like they're leaning into going to the NBA draft. I don't think anybody's really surprised when guys decide to leave at this point, but Trey Jones is returning to Duke. Let's go to Minneapolis. Aaron Beard now joining us from the Associated Press. A.B., how's things in Minnesota? Uh, Warmer weather, finally. It was really a little chilly and gray when I got here, but it's like sunny and 65 today, so it's awesome. So before we get to the game tonight, Virginia versus Texas Tech for the national title, what's your immediate reaction to learning about Duke making it official on its social media, Trey Jones returning to Duke? How big of a deal is this? Well, I think it's a significant deal when you consider that you know there's a lot of things that are in flux with Duke. Look, when when each year that Mike Shishetsky has gone the route of these one and done prospects that people look at and say they're going to make a brief stop in college, you there is a the challenge is figuring out how can you build some level of continuity even as you've got a revolving door of your top tier talent of you know one glad you know Bagley and Carter like last year go out Zion Williamson R.J. Barrett Cam Reddish come in and so forth. Uh, Jones will provide, you know, you know, the ability to pressure the ball is a very big deal because so much of what Duke was able to do defensively began with what he was able to do on the ball and then guys figuring out how to play off of that, that Trey Jones could turn a ball handler the wrong direction so that when he makes a pass across the court, it's harder to make it and that makes it easier for Zion Williamson or R.J. Barrett to jump the pass. So those are the things that were successful this year. Uh, it helps for next year. It's just a matter of who's who's there with him and how the new guys that come in, you know, fill some of those roles that you know are going to be vacant that everybody expects to be vacant next year. I don't find myself very surprised by today's news, though. Are, are you surprised at all to learn Trey Jones is returning? I, not dramatically. I mean, you know, I, of, of all the guys, the, the recruits that were coming in, he was the one that you would say would be the most you know, kind of a question mark. The other guys everybody looked at from word go is kind of a one-year stop. Whenever they decide what they're going to do and make things official, you know, that's a separate topic. But that's the way people viewed them. He was one that people thought, well, you know, he might be because we see guys leave after a year. Trayvon Duvall a year earlier, you know, that maybe aren't, you know, destined for guaranteed first-round pick or status or star status in the NBA. But there's a lot of guys that go ahead and make a pursuit um, but you know, with Trey, you know, he just—I think he looked at things and, and figured out. You know, it wasn't necessarily a a wrong play for him to stay in college. This is not someone that was averaging twenty-five a game and is going to be the number three pick in the draft. So, if you think there's an ability to improve your game by staying under Mike Shishovsky and maybe having a little bit more of an offensive role for a team that's going to have to rethink how they do things a little bit next year, 
you know, it might have been the right call for him to, you know, to kind of build his game up a little bit more. Follow Aaron Beard's coverage of the Final Four in the national title game tonight at Aaron Beard AP on Twitter. He joins us here on the Sports Hub Live from Minneapolis. We're in the business of telling stories in one way or another. I know your your job is more to tell the news. My job is to to give opinions around it. But at the core, our job is to tell stories, and we like telling good ones more times than not. Which do you think presents the better story, a Virginia win or Texas Tech? Well, I, I think most people would probably say Virginia, and that's because of UMBC. I mean, I, the Texas Tech, this is one of those Final Fours where you have two teams that would be a great story that won either way. You know, you don't always get that. Sometimes you get the one team that's the, the power that's won titles before, then another team that's trying to, you know, make its mark or have a breakthrough or whatever. You know, it's kind of completely different things. These are two teams, neither has been a national champion before. Uh, they're the last two AP national coaches of the year, uh, this year with Chris Beard and last year with Tony Bennett, two guys who have never won a national title. Uh, you know, what Texas Tech has done, specifically Beard, you know, a guy who's the career vagabond of going from, you know, D3 and D2 and community college and working his way up the ranks and Tony Bennett, you know, coming in and, and building a program that's been nationally elite, but until this year had not had a March breakthrough. But for me, I think so. I mean, look, these guys are still getting asked about UMBC here in Minneapolis, and understandably because of what happened last year. But I think Tony Bennett and them have, to their credit, taken this and said it's part of our story, you know. And and the story begins maybe from that moment and how you respond to it. That's what he said at the time, and that's what he said uh, in the months since. And here they are playing on the last Monday night of the year. And that's, you know, that's a heck of an ending to a story. If they win it, obviously it's better. But even to this point, it's a heck of a way to end the story. Being in the heart of the ACC, we've covered the Virginia story time and time again. But I'm glad you, you mentioned that it will be a great story if Texas Tech wins as well. When you look at it historically, the only team to ever win a national title in the state of Texas in this tournament is Texas Western in 1966. Houston was a runner-up twice, and Texas made the Final Four in 2003. And we never had uh, another Texas team win other than that first, that Don Haskins squad that had the first black starting uh, starting five in the history of college basketball. But what I'm interested in with Texas Tech, as great as they've been this year, getting to this point with a couple of grad transfers who have been very important for them, are you convinced this year's Texas Tech team is more talented than the one that went to the Elite Eight last year? Mm, that's a good question because there was, you know, some guys on that team last year that, you know, went on to, you know, be draft picks and so forth. But I think, you know, Jarrett Culver is a guy that when you watch him play, uh, he has made a huge leap in his game. I wrote a little bit yesterday about DeAndre Hunter and Jarrett Culver together, these two guys who, you know, for all the fascination on one-and-done talents, you know, Culver's a sophomore, uh, Hunter's a redshirt sophomore, guys who maybe took a little bit longer to develop a game, and now they're looked at as NBA prospects, like serious NBA prospects. And, you know, I look at a guy like Culver, and I'm like, wow, that's, you know, that's a guy who's really taken a leap. He leads them in scoring, assists, rebounds, um, you know, and obviously that unit as a whole defends. Sometimes it's not just about talent, though. Sometimes you get the right mix, the right chemistry of guys. The grad transfers with Owens and Mooney they brought in uh, really embrace the defensive identity. Culver gives them a versatile talent. Beard's underdog mentality says he always feels like an underdog, even now here in the Final Four. 
they've got the right combination. And not that they didn't have it last year, but the pieces may fit together even a little bit better this year. And here they are locking down on every single team they play in the tournament. Aaron Beard with us from the AP, I should add. Aaron Beard, no relationship, I believe, to National Coach of the Year, Chris Beard, <laughs> at Texas Tech. Is, that is Not true, that I'm right? I'm aware of. <laughs> All right, fair enough. He's in Minneapolis covering the Final Four. Let's do a couple quick hitters with you. Uh, speed round of questions here, just to get a couple things covered. What was your reaction to Virginia Tech choosing Mike Young at Wofford to be the replacement for Buzz Williams? Oh, sure. You know, Young's a guy that's a lot of substance. You know, sometimes you get coaches that are, you know, more style over substance, if you will. But uh, I think guys look at Mike Young and, and look at the work that was done at Wofford, and it stands out. I mean, this year, uh, I mean, look, if, if Fletcher McGee just doesn't have a, you know, and some of this is credit to Kentucky, but if he doesn't have an awful shooting game, they might have beaten Kentucky in the NCAA tournament. And they were ranked in the top 25, and they were in Ken Palm's rankings very high. That's a heck of a statement that Wofford made a year after they had beaten North Carolina in a regular season game in Chapel Hill. So uh, Young clearly understands the ACC growing up, he, or he's from Virginia originally, um, you know, before he had made his uh, you know, push through the coaching ranks. And so he's someone that's a coaching guy who has been around the game, has experienced, there's a veteran touch. But this is going to be a little bit of a different recruiting level and so forth, and so we'll see how he handles that part of it. Are you surprised UCLA still doesn't have a basketball coach right now? Sure, but, you know, I guess in this point, <laughs> these coaching – I guess, you know, anytime you expect anything in a coaching search, you're probably going to get it wrong. <laughs> um, I mean, we've seen that our, our fair share of times. And, you know, who's going to forget, you know, some of the things that happened in NC State, like in 2011 or whatever, waiting around on guys and trying to sort it out before they ended up finding Mark Godfrey, as opposed to the very quick and nimble hire when they got Kevin Keats done immediately after the season – um yeah that you know i'm not versed in that one nearly enough but you know every time it seems like you see a story there's a new development with ucla and um i guess we're all going to be kind of waiting and seeing how all this stuff sort of uh works out with these uh names that are getting floated out there what's the best thing you've eaten in minneapolis oh wow um or a couple an interest i had an interesting uh <laughs> combination mac and cheese with buffalo chicken on it today which is kind of interesting deal yeah that's what i said it's kind of like mind blown right um <laughs> sounds amazing couple, I, I, I have not done the uh the walleye that everybody talks about i guess i probably should have but it's been kind of uh grind out at the arena and then you know kind of stagger tired back to the hotel a little bit um but uh yeah that's i think that was what i ate today for lunch and it was i was like oh wow so there's buffalo chicken on the mac mac and cheese and they said yeah i'm like all right that sounds that sounds interesting enough i'll give that a go sounds life-changing aaron beard follow him on twitter <laughs> at aaron beard ap read his stuff covering texas tech and virginia the national championship tonight ap ab good to hear from you we'll catch up sometime soon okay guys thanks you got it that's uh aaron beard